just putting that medley of scraps of songs together at the end of Abbey Road, like all those songs individually are just what John and Paul would have considered just throwaway bits. And he turned it into one of the most spectacular finales on Mm. one of the most brilliant albums of all time. You know, that was, he really spearheaded that. He was like, well, look, let's get everything we've got together and let's turn it into something. And yeah, he creates this story with golden slumbers and carry that weight. And like, it's not quite clear what it all means, but it's so many images come to mind when you listen to it. There's so much strong imagery when, when you listen to that, there's so much being felt. And yeah, I, I do think that is probably Paul McCartney's peak, but a peak that continued Mm-hmm. into 1970 and 1971 with Ram. And I, I I truly think it wasn't until Ram got the awful reviews that it got that Paul was like, I don't know, maybe what I'm doing isn't that great. Junctures from Liverpool, England. The Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Today I'm happy to introduce our special guest, Elliot Roberts. Elliot is a fantastic YouTuber who creates videos about the Beatles. His videos have become quite popular with each averaging around a half million views since his channel launched in late 2020. Elliot's ranked every single Paul McCartney and John Lennon album and has watched every single Beatles biopic and ranked those as well, all on video. His videos are some of the best Beatles content out there and are absolutely worth watching. You can subscribe to his channel, Elliot Roberts Videos. I also just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in every week to listen to each podcast episode, especially those of you who follow us at Beatles Earth on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to follow this podcast so you get a notification every time there's new content. Elliot Roberts, thank you so much for coming on the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you, man. I love your YouTube videos. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I was uh, just telling you that I'm a huge fan of this podcast after listening to the Rob Sheffield episode, one of my favorite kind of Beatles-adjacent people. Um, So to be in the to be in the same kind of ilk as Rob Sheffield is that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Elliot, how did you get into the Beatles? Well, I was thinking about this question because I, yeah, I knew, I knew, um, I knew that was going to be kind of like the, the beginning point of this podcast, but it's honestly so difficult for me to remember like the beginning because the Beatles have always been so ubiquitous with my life as a whole. Like I, there, there was no, there was no like one song or one point that I remember that was like, oh, this was it. This was the day that everything changed. But I do remember I was very young um, and it probably would have been like my dad. My dad was a huge influence on myself and my musical tastes. He's from England, uh, in the north of England. He was born in you know the mid 40s. So kind of very similar upbringing and life to i guess the early beatles and he loved their music whenever he 
you know, like we were in the car and like a song would come on, he'd always turn it up. And I just remember really liking what I was hearing. And, uh, you know, from there, it, it, it kind of just grew. His first, his, his uh, one and only Beatles album that he had on CD, he had them all on vinyl, but we didn't really, we weren't really playing vinyls in the 1990s when I was like a kid. So the one CD that he had was the Beatles Anthology 1. And that was actually kind of probably the the Beatles that I listened to the most when I was really quite young, which I like because it is the beginnings of the Beatles. So it's like my introduction to the band were the origins of the band itself. So I really grew up loving a lot of that kind of like early, you know, skiffle uh, kind of um, a lot of their covers I really liked. Um, and then I would hear them in other ways as well. Like I remember listening to watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off when I was a kid. And it's that scene in uh, the, that parade in Chicago when Twist and Shout comes on. And I'm like, this song is electrifying. Like, what is this? Um, and then I realized it was the Beatles. And then you, you just start like being like, oh, this is the same band that does this and that does this. And these are those guys with those haircuts that I really like. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And then you start forming... <laughs> for me, like an identity around the Beatles because they just become such a big part of you. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it does become quite an identity, doesn't it? Yeah. So what do you think it is about the Beatles that allows that to even happen? Oh, man. Um, it With the Beatles, it's always like the the more you learn about them, the more you want to learn about them. You know what I mean? Like you're introduced to like one fact and you're like, oh, that's that's really that's really engaging. That's really interesting. I, I, I want to learn more like, Oh, they decided to have their hair cut this way in 1964, but like this way in 1966, like what was going on there? Like, it, like every little decision that they make about their appearance, about their music, I was just like, what led them to that? And I love that about them. I love that they had such a innate curiosity about the world and how they wanted to present themselves. And I think that's something that really appealed to me is, yeah, yeah. Like, I honestly, I, I think like their haircuts would have been one of the first things that I saw as I remember the people that babysat me had like a framed picture of the Beatles. It was this, it's this one of the four of them, the kind of like two on the top, two on the bottom. And John's like playing a harmonica. Um uh, it's like an early, probably 63, 64 photo of them. But I just thought that they looked so cool. I don't know. And uh, also when I started listening to them, not just in their music, but in their interviews and stuff, they were so funny as well. Like, I was like, I want to, like, these guys are the funniest people. These guys are funnier than movie stars or comedians. And they're doing it so effortlessly as well. And like, they they had this great combination of kind of like, being like a smart ass, but also being really polite. You know what I mean? Like they were, when they were interviewed, like they, they got so good at like press conferences and interviews that they could be the most engaging, polite, classy people in the room, but also the ones who would suffer the least fools and would just really like own that space. And they were in their early twenties when they were doing it. And like the more you uncover about them, like again, just the more engaging and fascinating they are 
Yeah. I so <laughs> I feel like whatever question you ask me, I will just keep going off on a tangent. So please stop me whenever you feel like it. <laughs> well, that's the thing about the Beatles is like you can talk about a tiny little facet of them forever and you can write a book on it. Yeah. I mean, I can't really think of any other artists where, you know, given any random photo, you're able to yeah. pinpoint the exact month and year based on their haircuts alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm... I'm and because of that, like talking about how they've influenced my life, my hair has never I I never really like cutting my hair too short. Like I I've done it a few times in my life, but it ne it never really feels correct. Um, so I've I pretty much have always had my hair like a mid or a longer length, and that's truly I think because of the Beatles. Like I I I never. There's always people in your life who, you know, movie stars, celebrities, whatever, that are cool and you want to kind of be like, you want to look like them. Um, but no one's ever really topped the Beatles in terms of look and kind of demeanor and, and the sort of people I've looked up to and wanted to like base my style off, base my look off or whatever. So, you know, it's the, the, the hold they have on me is just tremendous. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the hold they have on you, mm. how did you decide to start making YouTube videos about the Beatles? Yeah, um, it, it's kind of roundabout, so I'll I'll, I'll give you the full um, the full story. So I'm an actor. Uh, that's what I do with uh, my life, I suppose. What I've what I've been doing with my life. Um, I was at a point where. I was in a few things in my, I was, I finished, you know, like acting school and university and stuff a few years ago. And I was kind of just milling around. I was getting the odd job here and there, but it wasn't really satisfying me. So I was like, well, okay. At this point I was like 20, I would have been 27. I was like, I'm going to make my own thing. I'm going to make a web series. Cause that's really achievable um, for someone with no money who just wants to get a few friends together and make something. So I wrote and appeared in and directed uh, this web series called Method Actor. It's on a different YouTube channel. Um, it's not very good, but that kind of like got the ball rolling on me, even just making videos properly. And I made that and it kind of came out at the beginning of the pandemic around April. I released it. I was like, okay, that project's done. I don't really feel the need to do something like that again because it was exhausting, but I really found that I liked making videos very much. And even like, it was like, I, I think about July of 2020, I made something called month of weird where I just made like one, one minute video each day of July for like the entire month and just did it as an exercise. And once that was over, I was like, I really like that. I, I like that. I've got something to work on. I like that. I've got like a work ethic now around making videos. And then I was like, I'll just make a YouTube channel, but instead of like me acting or doing skits, which is the thing I always thought I should do to like, you know, if I wanted to actually get views, like people will enjoy my comedy or whatever. Um, but I realized that the probably the more engaging thing is to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and something that I really love. And my first YouTube video was a video that I'd always wanted to see, but no one had made. So I was like, I'll just make it myself, which is basically every Beatles biopic. Um, I was like, why haven't they made a decent Beatles biopic? Everyone's making like all these biopics that you got Rocket Man, you got Bohemian Rhapsody, many on, you know, sliding scales of quality. But I was like, no one's really attempted the Beatles properly. Like there's been no big hit, at least not in the last 
20, 30 years where someone's really tried to make a Beatles biopic. So I was like, what are all of them that exist right now? I'm going to put them together and just kind of present my thoughts on them. And I was like, I'm really just doing this for me because I'd kind of like lost hope that, you know, anyone would watch it or care. I was like, I just want to put this, collate all this together and see what they're all like. Um, and I made that and then I didn't really do anything with it for a few months. Like it was my first video. So it would only get like a couple of views a day if I was lucky. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then about, that was in September. And then by December, when I was working on my follow-up video on the uh, album Ram by Paul McCartney and how it has a very much an indie pop sound and perhaps one of the first indie pop albums um, was my contention. Uh, around that point, it started getting quite popular. And then I had like a peak of popularity in early January that really like got me over the edge with views and subscribers and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, this Beatles content is doing really well. But here's the thing. I never set out to be like a Beatles YouTuber. I just wanted to make videos again, like on stuff that I was interested in, like I think it was like maybe the video or maybe like a, a video or two after that, I made one on the video game, The Legend of Zelda, because I was like, oh, people are subscribing to my YouTube channel. They must just like me. I was like, <laughs> no, that dude, like it was in hindsight, a really obnoxious move because I was like, of course, they're not coming just for you. And like, they want to hear your thoughts on everything. Like, I also love things like, I don't know, the TV show Survivor, you know, but I'm not yeah. going to make a video on that. <laughs> um, they're They're watching you because of your opinion on, on the Beatles, it became very clear that that's what was popular. And I guess also biopics, those two things are the sort of cornerstone of my of my channel. Um, but it's lucky because fortunately, I do really like talking about the Beatles. And I never, as you pointed out, I never really have like, the well is never dry of things to talk about with the Beatles. There's always something to go back to. I've got, you know, five videos at the top of my head that I could make about you know the Beatles one facet of them or, or the other so I'm very happy happy to um, have them be a big part of like my channel and the sort of videos that I make and if people want to consider me a Beatles YouTuber that is fine by me <laughs> <laughs> well I'm glad you're here because I think that you're one of the more interesting voices in the Beatles universe right now oh thank you absolutely and I'd love to get your take on this because mm. in your video from a while ago where you review every single Beatles biopic. At the end of that video, you kind of speak into existence the Beatles three-part Get Back documentary when you said that you wish they had a biopic that showed off their creative process, kind of like how Love and Mercy does. Truly. So my question to you yeah. is if they said yes to that kind of movie, which era of the Beatles would you focus that movie on? Oh, man. Um... Well, I wouldn't do much from the early, I wouldn't do much of their early stuff. Like anything before like they came to America, I probably wouldn't bother with too much just because I feel like it's been done a lot with like things like Nowhere Boy. And I feel like there's been a lot about the beginnings of the Beatles. I feel like there's also been quite a bit about how they kind of broke up, even though I don't think they've ever got that correct, especially now with Get Back. It's like, there's so much more nuance to how the Beatles ended and they really kind of, um, they really make it a very two dimensional kind of split. Oh gosh, you really actually could make, make one about that and do it <laughs> properly. But I think, I think the, what I really love 
part of what I really love about Love and Mercy is the depiction of the creative process of the album Pet Sounds. And I think they're most um, sonically interesting albums are from that middle period. Um, so I, I think I would love to see a depiction of when they started, of when the Beatles started to take control of the studio, I suppose. So mm. perhaps even a biopic that's set around 65 when they're starting to get a bit sick of touring when they have already discovered that they're the biggest thing in the world and when they want to go a bit more inside themselves and when they want to discover more about who they are like that's what makes rubber soul such an interesting album is that they stop well they don't stop entirely but they take a bit of a departure from just writing songs um about you and i and she and her and stuff and make them about themselves like nowhere man is like the first beatles song that's not really about i or you you know it's about this person you know right. um and well but, but it's really about john but that whole that whole side of things uh is just so fascinating to me as well as how they talk, they still do talk about women and girls but it's in a much more complex way like you've got Paul's relationship with Jane Asher like he's realizing around this time that she's not just going to be um you know the the standard wife or girlfriend that's just going to sit at home and cook and have dinner ready for him when he comes home from EMI Studios you know like she is a woman in her own right she's an actress she is sophisticated she is someone who likes to be seen and heard in you know that London arts scene. And I feel like that is an interesting thing for Paul to grapple with. And you hear that in songs like um, uh, You Won't See Me and stuff like that. Like it's all there. Like the, the, the story of them becoming adults properly and like thinking about things more than just fame and what's the next big gig. That That's the stuff that really, I think, is when they really start getting quite interesting. And then, of course, you've got things like them experience like they they they've already discovered pot at this point but like them like george and john uh you know getting slipped lsd i think is like one of my it's one of my favorite beatles stories you know like that whole night for them like i would love to see like a really tasteful depiction of that you know of like that it's that moment where george says like he enters the club and he just feels so much like love for everyone and like I don't know. I just, I, I, I find that so beautiful and I'd love to, I'd love to just like see that, you know, depicted somehow. And then of course, like revolver, you know, like you've got uh, how they, you could spend half an hour on how they made the song tomorrow. Never knows like, Paul, right. you know, playing with the tape loops and stuff like that. Um, which is a, a big thing about Paul McCartney. Like a lot of people consider George and John to be the more, I guess, kind of, psychedelic um pioneers of the band i suppose because they were more into they they just seemed a better fit and paul was more the you know um dance hall kind of big band songs and that kind of thing but paul was paul was right there with experimenting paul wanted weird crazy sounds as much as george and john did and yeah i i i love the just 
the idea of a scene of just him like cutting up tape and just like spooling it back and then just coming up with these weird sounds and then just bringing them into Abbey Road with a, in a plastic bag. Like, right. I don't know, like that sort of stuff that I think is just amazing because it's it's the process of them creating these groundbreaking songs, but the way in which they're done is so kind of like arts and crafty and just like, they're, they're like if you read Jeff Emmerich's book as well, Here, There and Everywhere, like you'll realize that it's them just kind of stumbling around the studio, like trying things out, breaking the rules. Like that is the most fascinating stuff to me because it's music that changed the world. But the process of doing it is is really just so kind of quaint and like boys in their 20s just like messing around. Yeah. I really love that. And I'd love to see, you know, like I don't necessarily need to see you know, how the 50th time where, you know, John has a, a problem with his upbringing or, mm-hmm. you know, where Yoko, where he meets Yoko and stuff and the band starts to fracture and they're all on bad terms. I want to see a biopic about them enjoying each other's company and like, right. and, you know, really vibing off what the other Beatles are doing. You know, I want to see them flourishing in their, in this like, juggernaut of a creative moment that is i think the beatles movie that i think would be the most fascinating to me because again we've got get back we kind of like have an understanding now of their latter process making get back or let it be i'd love to have seen abbey road because i feel like if there was any footage of them making abbey road that would be amazing because it is like their final statement you know, whether or not they really thought it was their last album, I feel like part of them definitely would have thought it was. And I would have loved to have seen like a depiction of them, you know, creating that and what that means to them. But um, yeah, no, that middle period to me is just easily the coolest with the most material that I think just everyone would enjoy. So yeah, yeah. that's my answer to that question. <laughs> I agree. I would love to see that movie, especially like if they showed and uh premiered the song a carnival of light during that oh my god yeah that'd be amazing (laughs) that do you think they like paul will ever allow that to be released i don't know i've heard mixed things about it i heard paul wants it to be be released but the people that are holding it back are yoko olivia and um and ringo Mm. um i think paul maybe wants to stake his name on like the first experimental song the Beatles ever did. But I've also heard like from, I've also read like online from reviews about allegedly people that were there that it wasn't that great. That I've heard that as well. Of, like, you know, <laughs> John playing a trumpet, Paul banging on a drum and then them screaming in like an echo chamber for a little bit. But I would still love to hear it because it's the Beatles. Me you know? too. I, I mean like, and you got to take, you know, when when people say, when people like John say as well, like, oh, it wasn't that good. you got to take that with a grain of salt because he's said, you know, John Lennon said that like a lot of the stuff that the Beatles made, which is incredible, mm. is not good. So yeah. I, I, I'm like, I get it. I, I get that it's probably not like Hey Jude or like Tomorrow Never Knows or something like that, but it's still them experimenting. It's still them coming up with uh, a part of, you know, the just their sound it's still them create creating what is the beatles it's yeah um part of the tapestry of 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 their music i think and it's just this little patch that's missing that i 
yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can they can just release it. Maybe it doesn't need to be like a big thing, like a big double LP release or anything. They can just release <laughs> it digitally, like Beyonce with no warning. Be like, here's Carnival of Light, enjoy. Um, I think the world would explode if that happened. Oh, it'd be world. it'd be amazing. And like, there's 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 so much stuff that I guess more as individuals they release that is just you know, like you look at like the unfinished music volumes. You look at electronic sound, like there's experimental stuff that the Beatles have released that is, you know, arguable how listenable it is. So I don't know what's like getting in the way of Carnival of Light, you know, maybe it's because it is the whole band and not just one of them off experimenting with a Moog synthesizer. (laughs) You know, I, I... because the more the more the, the more they wait to release it, like the more pressure there's going to be for it to 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 be something. So yeah, just get it out there. I reckon. That's <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's any if there are any other songs that they that are in the vault, because there's definitely a vault somewhere. I I mean, like you watch Get Back, and it's like they have just these songs that they kind of like mess around with on the fly. Maybe stuff that they've um, you know written or half written just little musical ideas that just like even something like half a pound of grease paint McCartney in Get Back, I was like, this song is ridiculous, but I love it. Like the amount of times I just would just skip to that scene just because I thought it was so ridiculous and funny. Like that's what, you know, that's what the world loves about the Beatles. We don't necessarily care if it's, yeah, let it be or or, or, or whatever. It's, we, we just like anything. Just give us the scraps. Like right. we'll take the other 56 hours of footage or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> Please, we'll make something out of it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Elliot, how have the Beatles influenced your life? Oh, man. Um, I was thinking about this, and really it is a question of how have they not influenced my life? Because, like I said, like they are just so ubiquitous with just the way I operate, the way I, the way I make decisions. Um, but... Let's right, let 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 us pinpoint a couple of things. Well, I mean, for starters, their hair. Their hair is just one of those things. It's like, yep, I, I like I mentioned before, I, I've always had a kind of Beatles adjacent haircut. Um, at some point, um, I get a lot of people saying, not right now because I've just had it slightly cut, but uh, that I have a bit of a George Harrison hairstyle, which is my Definitely, my favorite yeah. compliment. Yeah, um, I never get sick of hearing that. Um, <laughs> Something I really like that really influenced me was that how comfortable in their own skin they were as as people. Probably least of all John. Like John was seemed like he was probably the most sure of himself, but he like of course he listened to his music and he's so insecure, you know, right. like and for a good reason. Like John obviously had a lot of kind of trauma in his life, but in general, the way that the Beatles would just carry themselves was just with this like effortless, cool, and like they just knew who they were. And, mm-hmm. but they didn't do that in like a macho way. 
you know, that, really? that, that was another thing. It's like, they weren't macho guys or dudes who were like arrogant or thought they were like above it all or anything like that. They were just talented musicians who were okay with, you know, leaning into a more sometimes feminine or androgynous look, growing the hair long, wearing tight clothes in the early 60s, wearing very colorful clothes in the mid 60s. And just like you'd have all these like, you know, parents and stuff like that being like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're like girls or whatever. They're, you know, you don't, my, my son's not going to grow up to be like that. But I love that about them. I love that they were just, they, they, they didn't care. Like that for them was just the coolest thing. And other people thought it was the coolest thing because they did as well. And I, I, I really like operating like that. I, I try at least, I try to just be someone who is sure of myself and comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid as well, this is in the nine, mid 1990s, uh, the band Hanson um, were a, oh, yeah. a pretty big thing, Mbop and all that. And yeah. similar to uh, the Beatles, they, you know, this is three brothers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who um, just made really good pop music and their hair was long. So I grew my hair long and like I was a kid and uh, people would think I was a girl all the time because I was like seven, eight years old with long hair and stuff like that but I didn't care like I didn't care that people were like oh you look like a girl or whatever it was like yeah but don't you know the coolest people ever have their hair like this so Mm -hmm. that's it actually doesn't matter to me and so not leaning into that super kind of masculine macho way of you know being a guy has the Beatles are really behind that for me um I yeah I, I I I credit them with that they're just the coolest people in my eyes, you know, that like, like I said, there's other people you look up to, but no, I've never gotten too far from the Beatles, but also their attitude towards life. Like the song, all you need is love. is like, it's such a cliche, but it's true. You know, the more <laughs> like Paul McCartney says in interviews, you can watch him in the eighties, nineties and you know, today even, like, you'll be like, all you need is love. I still believe in that, by the way. You know, like, there's right. still, like, yeah. it, it is kind of a message that is is so perfect, you know, like, um, so to be kind, polite, empathetic, and just kind of have it all go back to, to love is, is very important to me, to not be too antagonistic or to just embrace change as well the Beatles were very progressive people you know mm-hmm. um they were always not only trying out new ideas in their music but they were very conscious uh of the world and the way the world was developing and changing and even though their songs wouldn't be obviously about you know the civil rights Paul still made Blackbird and I I've always loved that about them. I loved that they were worldly and, and conscious of, of that. And it, it mattered to them. Um, whilst, but at the same time, with the exception of John, I suppose, they weren't like overtly political. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they were, they were able to get across their worldview um, just through their music, uh, which I really loved. And what's so great about the Beatles is that as you get older, as, as I have gotten older, different parts of their life that I didn't really know about have influenced me in new ways. Like obviously when I was a kid, like I said, it was the hair and stuff. When I was in my twenties, it was really like, I loved the whole psychedelia of it all. And um, 
that side of things. I got really into psychedelic music, bands like Aussie bands like Tame Impala. I, you know, loved, and they got compared to, he got, Kevin from Tame Impala got compared to uh, the Beatles a lot, particularly on their first album. So that was just like a match made in heaven for me. And the fact that they were Aussie, I was like, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) So I, I really got into like psychedelia, but then, um, like even after they broke up, like Paul, what he did with Linda by like the Beatles break up and he just goes off and like buys a farm. Um, well, he, you know, he, he, he already owned the farm, but he w- went off and lived there with Linda and like started a family and lived this kind of, you know, idealistic provincial life. And I'm at a point, like I'm 31 now. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I've been with my girlfriend for like a few years and we're kind of like sick of living in the city. And we see like these shots of like Paul and Linda in the country. And we're like, man, that just looks so, so goddamn ideal. Like we should do that. So like, we're actively like looking for a place to live outside of the city now. Like, and, and that's so much of that is like Paul's influence and like the album McCartney and Ram, like. So awesome. I, I got to tell like Ram has had such a big, it, it's such a significant album in, in my life for, for, for many ways, but also um, like George, uh, I've really, the, the, the things that, that George did and the stuff that he said or didn't say, like I was watching uh, an interview I've watched a million times before, but it's his appearance on the Dick Cavett show. And it's like, have you, have you seen it yet? It's, yeah, I have. It's, when he's it's, got the long hair. Yeah. 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 He, he looks a bit creepy in it, but um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's so, he's so great. Like the interview kind of starts off in a bit of an awkward spot because he's George Harrison and yeah. Um, and Dick Cavett's kind of freaking out. Like he doesn't really want to plug anything. He doesn't really just want to go off and pontificate and talk. Um, so Dick Cavett's kind of like sweating and George is like, well, I've just got, there's just nothing to say really. Like there's, right. <laughs> there's you know, like, and, and I love that about him. I, I love that. Like he's not the quiet beetle. The quiet beetle we learned from get back is actually Ringo. George is yeah. not the quiet beetle. <laughs> George just like has a good economy of words and knows right. when to talk. And I think that is such a valuable, valuable trait in a person um, as I word vomit right now. But like to know <laughs> to know when to talk and like when to actually speak up and say something and just say the exact perfect thing is something I've always tried to just be better at in everyday life. Um, I also read uh, the book Be Here Now yeah, by Ram Das. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, I've, I've, well, I got into meditation last year. Um, uh, I'm on a streak of about 310 days now, every day of meditating Fantastic. for at 10 to 15 minutes. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I'm really, uh, and I'm not, I'm not doing that purely because of George. But is was he an influence on it? Hell yeah, he was. Like it's, it's. Um, just that thing where you, you get to a point in your life and you're like, well, what else is there? What else can, you know, um, what else should I be doing for myself? What, what, what can help me, you know, just live this life in just a better way where I feel good about myself? And meditation has really been a key component of that. And that led me to, I think Be Here Now is also just a top three George Harrison song. Like it's, oh. Yeah, one of, 
one of my absolute favorites for a very different for very different reasons than I think his you know like his other best songs would be. Be Here Now is just a really special piece of music, and even just from that, I was like, I gotta read this book, and like I read it, and it yeah, it it, it moved me, it, it it made me kind of rethink how I approach meditation and stuff. So yeah, I, they constantly influence my life at, at a similar time as when like when they were in their early 30s now that stuff is influencing me in my early 30s and I'm sure as I get into my late 30s there'll be stuff that you know they did in the late 70s that probably has an influence on me as well I kind of like looking at the parallels of us in age which is not a healthy thing to do when you learn that they made like revolver when they were like 23 years old yeah like, <laughs> I'm not talking about like the level of success <laughs> but more about where their minds were at you know, mm-hmm. what was going through, what was going through their head all day? What were they actively thinking about? What was their thought process of, of family, of, of work, of, um, of what it is they're on the planet to do? Like that always fascinates me. I, mm-hmm. I had a question um, from someone, I, I did a Q and A on my YouTube channel recently, and it was, if you could make a video or a, a biopic or a bio series of their post Beatles career, like what would you include? And I was like, that's honestly as interesting as the stuff that happened to them in the Beatles. Right. And that's that's partly as well why I started making uh, YouTube videos is because I feel like there's very little out there about the Beatles after the Beatles. You yeah. know, they are still the most famous people on the planet, but not many right. people, I hadn't seen many videos or that much. I know there have been books um, like Eight Arms to Hold You, which I still need to read about what happened to them after that. But I, I just think that's so fascinating. I, I just think that, um, like as Rob Sheffield says, like how they just couldn't quite believe that the Beatles remained popular, even though all four of them had split up. They could, you know, it seems right. so strange to them. Um, but I, th- I think they are equally as fascinating separate as they are together and each of their separate trajectories is having an influence on my life um, always. So, I mean, ask me again in another few years, I'll give you a different example. But uh, yeah, that's just some of the many ways that they've influenced my life for sure. That's very interesting. You know, it's almost as if the Beatles are kind of, because I I view my life in almost the same way as you just described. I always compare my age to, Beatles age and where I'm at to where they're at um and uh you know it, it does seem like um what what it does seem like you're kind of a fifth Beatle born generations too late and <laughs> a different continent but um I you know I am I'm 25 and I keep thinking like, okay John was kind of facing this existential crisis you know a quarter life yeah. crisis when he was 25 he wrote help and that's when the Beatles image started to change and they just kind of wanted to figure out who they were as people. And that's kind of where I'm at too, but it's almost as mm. if the Beatles is all like a metaphor for where you begin your life or your childhood. And then as you just said, you know, you're 31. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if your early childhood, the Beatles has broken up and you're trying to find your own way or, I don't know. Um, or- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like even 
my decision to kind of, I guess, because like I said, I like I'm an actor. I've always, you know, strived to make that my career, which is very difficult, especially in Australia where there's essentially no no work. Um, kind of pivoting to YouTube properly and have that take off and be the semi success that it is and enough to you know sustain me, I suppose. Um, even that change, like was felt to me like oh i'm almost like not giving up but i've there's a clear distinction here between what i was doing in my 20s when i was still kind of figuring things out and like now what i'm doing as i like like my youtube channel started getting popular like when i turned 30 like it was very it was this kind of very symbolic um, moment for me. And again, that's, you know, around a similar time that the Beatles broke up and they started going off and doing their own thing. Like I kind of liked lining up this, um, imagery and the symbolism, um, it kind of, I guess, helped me process like the changes going through my own life, you know, and maybe I'll have some sort of weird, breakdown in the next couple of years and it'll be like my dark horse period or something hopefully not hopefully i'm it's more of a poor thing and i have you know a a bigger success uh akin to band on the run or something like that but i mean like (laughs) (laughs) uh but that that's that's why they're so great as well is that they've all especially in the 70s they all had different you know wins and losses you know like paul being kind of the bad guy in the very early 70s and the one coming up with these weird, you know, lo-fi albums like McCartney and Wildlife Mm. and even Red Rose Speedway, which I think are actually great. I I would rank them higher now from my ranking where I uh, ranked all of his albums. I'm like, there's something really special about Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway, but they were were still kind of odd albums compared to, I guess, what John and George were making, who are, I guess, looking like, the favorite Beatles around that time. But mm-hmm. then you've got like Dark Horse and Mind Games and things start looking a little bit stranger for those two. And then Paul gets vindicated because it turns out Alan Klein is like a swindler who was taking it, like he was right. And then he makes Band on the Run. Like the way that they go from, you know, like who's popular throughout the 70s and who's not, I think is always interesting. It's like, it's never all four of them or all, all at the same time. One of them is usually copying it from, you know, the public in, in right. some form or another. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I always find that fascinating and to remember that like, that's kind of just what life is. Like, you're not, you there's just going to be a point where you're just in, in the doldrums. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just always nice to, I suppose, align your life with and, and be like, yeah, it's okay, you know, yeah. swings and roundabouts. Absolutely, because you can learn so much from their downs as well, yeah. as, well as their ups, although our ups will probably never be as up <laughs> no, as their yeah, ups. Yeah. But um, yeah. especially, you know, when Paul was making McCartney, there's that mm-hmm. quote of him just laying in bed and not wanting to get up and Linda encouraging him to just get into the studio and make something. And that's what you hear on that album. You just hear something, although it's very cool, as you said, very lo-fi, almost like, you know, bedroom pop kind of yeah. Kind of stuff oh now. gosh, that that album is so is so excellent. Yeah, I don't, I don't, and, I don't know if you had the like, whatever the point was in your life when you listened to when you started listening to their solo work and you'd listen to like um, Plastic Ono Band and you'd be like, 
wow, that's so visceral, so angsty, so amazing. This is like the album that John Lennon was always meant to make. And then you'd hear uh, All Things Must Pass and it's just like this treasure trove of songs. And then I listened to McCartney and I was like, what is this? Yeah. (laughs) What is this like? This is so just... Uh, I was when I first heard it, I was like, "This is just why didn't he just wait to make something better?" But right, <laughs> man, over the years, the way that album has just like, I say it in my video, just like aged like a fine wine. Like the McCartney album is, is just so good. It's just just such a pure expression of what one man who's just a master of melody, a master of music, can just do with you know an acoustic guitar, a, a bass guitar, and just you know doing it all himself and just being on you know going through the worst breakup of his life um not obviously not with linda but with the beatles and then just using um with the help of like her love and this like kind of new family like determine where he's going to go next and it's all just it's all just in the mccartney album you know like yeah oh i just love it (laughs) i think it's so cool that it was released with like a self-interview it's uh, like before mm. Let It Be was released and they were all like, don't do it. And he released that self-interview that says, do you ever foresee yourself getting back with the Beatles? And he says, no. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's very dramatic. He's a very drama queen kind of person during the time period. <laughs> but, yeah. And it's what, it's what kind of, I guess, turned him into the bad guy, the punching bag yeah. um, for years. But I kind of understand, I, again, like I get where he's coming from. Like you've, so the, like the timing is like, um, so they're making Abbey Road in 1969, like middle of 1969, the summer. Then by September, when it's pretty much done, um, John's like, I want out. I want a divorce. I'm leaving the group. But you can't yeah. say anything. No one can say anything. And several months go by. And Paul, who loves the Beatles probably more than any of them who were in the band, at least at that time, he's he, he wants them to continue more than anything. But he's got John just being like, no, the band's done, but you can't say anything. And think about that. September, October, November, December, January. He's just sitting there just going, I want to do my own thing. Like if the, if the band isn't continuing, then like, right. fuck, guys, I don't know. I, I'm going to, yeah. I need to release music. I'm Paul McCartney. Music is coming out of me at all times. I need right. an outlet. And so he's like, look, it's been enough time for you, John, for you to announce something or announce something as the band. I'm just going to do it myself. I've had enough of this. So like mm-hmm. it, in that way, I really get where he was coming from. And yeah, it was probably not the best move. Uh, like he probably could have, you know, ran it by the rest of them. But at the same time, they were sitting on that decision and neither of them did anything. So, yeah. And yeah. to me, 1969 kind of felt like the beginning of his creative peak. He mm-hmm. was writing songs like Golden Slumbers, Let It Be. Oh, yeah. darling, backseat of my car. I mean, the whole the whole medley, like just 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 putting that medley of scraps of songs together at the end of Abbey Road, like all those songs individually are just what all John and Paul would have considered just throwaway bits, and he turned it into one of the most spectacular finales on mm-hmm. one of the most brilliant albums of all time. You know, that yeah. was he really spearheaded that. He was like, well, look, let's get everything we've got together and let's turn it into something and yeah he creates this story with golden slumbers and carry that weight and like it's not quite clear what it all means but it's 
so many images come to mind when you listen to it. There's so much strong imagery when, when you listen to that, there's so much being felt. And yeah, I, I do think that is probably Paul McCartney's peak, but a peak that continued Mm-hmm. into 1970 and 1971 with ram and I, I i truly think it wasn't until ram got the awful reviews that it got that paul was like i don't know maybe what i'm doing isn't that great and he has he the peak finally goes down again but i think if ram was was a hit i think wildlife wouldn't have been wildlife i i don't think he mm. would have released it only a few months after ram i think he would have maybe tried to stay on that same kind of trajectory of the songs he was making on Ram. Because the stuff on Ram is not like anything else on any other album. That's part of right. what makes it so special. It's it's just like, yeah, gosh, gosh, I love that album. Backseat of My Car is kind of like it. it I, when I hear it, it yeah. almost reminds me of a Disney movie. It's very <laughs> uh, fantasy. It's very like, let's get away. Very cool. Yeah. I love that song. When I spoke to uh, Denny Sywell, the drummer, um, from uh, from Wings from that time, he, he he says that that's his favorite song on the album, and just like how just ballistic he was going on the drums uh, for that finale, he was like, it's just one of his favorite memories. Like, it really sounds like the making of Ram was a really special time for everyone involved, and it's it's such a shame that it was like he, it, Paul probably thought he had this like opus, this just yeah. masterpiece on his hands. That's like this is what's going to get me back into everyone's good books and then it just flopping like that it, it, like i can't imagine what it must have done to his psyche to enter oh his way God. of thinking because obviously now everyone loves it everyone's like wow it sounds like grizzly bear it sounds like this and yeah. that it's it's yeah. you know you can hear so much of today's music in ram but back then it was just like what a blow to his um i guess ego his his psyche yeah mm-hmm anyway (laughs) so is paul your favorite man it's look probably but also i can't choose between him and george i know it's always lennon mccartney but i i think about george harrison and i'm like no it's no it's george (laughs) like that man like george to me is the most interesting human being who's ever lived like Mm -hmm. like i've i've ordered his book i me mine finally i haven't read it yet but I don't know why I haven't read it, but I've ordered it. It's it's taking forever to get here, but I really, because um, I'm going to be making a George video in the next few months. Um, I really want to get into his his mind, and I know he doesn't talk a lot about the Beatles in I Me Mind, but I just I just want to know what what George writing a book is like, um, and I just find him endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. The decisions that he makes, the the position he was in like as someone just under John and Paul, like he was still a Beatle. He's still like one of the most beloved famous people of all time, but he'll always have these like two older brothers who are just kind of always going to be a bit above him and and many people's eyes and like how that, how he kind of reckoned with that his whole life. Um, Yeah. I, I also just love his, George's uh, solo music as well. I like. I know you do. After listening to Rob Sheffield's episode, you love yeah. uh, his self-titled '79 album. Oh, I do as well. Great, yeah. It's just like to, there, there's a period in um, at least John Paul and George where 
they discover just the love of family and just being happy, like being new dads. And for Paul, it's the early 70s. It's McCartney, it's Ram. You know, for John, it's not until 1980 with Double Fantasy and he starts making songs about the love of his son and the love of, you know, being a father and a husband. And for George, it's the year before. It's 1979 with George Harrison. It's just him realizing that like, oh, he doesn't need to, you know, be worried about this or that or be upset with the world as George often is. He right. can just, you know, he can just be like, oh, wow, love really does come to everyone. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, like if you believe, you know, it's, it's, George is often, you know, kind of bitchy and pessimistic. And when he's just, he, he's just so optimistic on that album and he's so full of yeah. love and there's such great sounds in, on, on that album like that, like love comes to everyone is like a song that I can put on and just instantly feel better. You know, right. it's just it's just so joyous, um, yeah. which is also just I'm going to start rambling here. What led me to really love the Beatles in the first place is I think the thing that I identified with their music was the joy in it, like mm-hmm. more than anything else, more than like the melodies and the harmonies, which I really love. But just how they managed to cultivate joy in two, three minutes, you know what I mean? Just just. It's like that that scene in Ferris Bueller that, that when they play Twist and Shout. I'm like, what is this? It's so it's so happy. It's so uplifting. And yeah. um, even though they got into kind of weirder territory as they evolved, it was that just that like she loves you. I want to hold your hand. Like these songs that are just the most joyous little like bits of sound that you, that I don't think it's ever been topped. I don't think anyone's made more euphoric sounding music. than that you know um and that's and that's what a lot of people forget about the beatles is that they think like oh yeah like the beatles obviously best band of all time but they didn't really start getting good until like you know rubber soul revolver where they started getting experimental it's like you got to remember that the world fell in love with them teenage girls fell in love with them because of those early songs like i want to hold your hand she loves you or all of that like that's the stuff that just set the world on fire and made people just you know scream with pleasure in the crowds because of 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 what they were creating and that's always the thing i like to come back to with the beatles and even their solo work is like like i like when they do a, a ballad i like when they do something a bit more thorough and i guess serious or or what have you but i like when they just make uplifting music Right. You know, like that's why Hey Jude is such a perfect song. It's kind of this blend of both. You've got like this beautiful kind of beginning, this ballad with Paul kind of addressing um, this this person, whoever it might be for you. Um, and then it just turns into this uplifting coda, these na-na-na-nas, you know, like that's that's what is so good about their music. And I love when each of them go back to that you know, in their solo careers. It's probably why I'm more of a Paul guy than a John guy, because John, I guess, does make a a bit more of that kind of serious, um, angsty music, which I love, you know, like Pastagono Band is like a perfect album. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the most direct, you know, lines to John Lennon's inner mind um, of any, any artist, really. Like, 
but I I don't turn I don't put on that album when I'm just like I need to just listen to something nice and just forget right. my worries. You know, I can't <laughs> do that. Whereas I can do that course, with yeah. I, I you know I can I can put on Ram or I can put on Tug of War. Uh, I yeah. can put on you know like What's that you're doing or Take Me Away or something like that. And yeah. same with George's stuff on his 1979 album. I can put on If You Believe, Here Comes the Moon, um, and just feel just feel good and happy like they clearly are when they're making this music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in answer to your question, yes, it is Paul, but it's also George. <laughs> I can't, I, ca- I can't really choose, choose between them. Um, yeah. They're just, it, it, but they are the two that are probably the most different as well. Like yeah. Yeah. right up until like you look at anthology and there's still like this weird tension between George and Paul, <laughs> you know, I like them for entirely different reasons. Right. You know, Paul is, Paul is like the ambassador of the Beatles. Like even till, even up to right now, like he's the guy that wants to see this band continue on and on and on. Whereas I think if George continued living, I just don't think it'd matter as much to him. Right. I mean, nothing that that's what, that's what's so interesting about George is that nothing kind of really mattered to him. You know, we are not these bodies, you know, it's all, it's all the ego. It's all, um, what's, what matters is what's happening right now, um, to us in this moment, you know, whereas Paul is always thinking about, he's always reflecting on the past. He's always thinking about what's next. You know, he's very much the opposite of George in many ways. Um, uh, and you know when he was doing when George was doing his press tour for uh, Cloud Nine, he would always say it's much better than anything the Beatles ever made. Um, <laughs> you know, like he's so admon- like puts down like his own past work because he truly doesn't believe in living in that space for even a single second. Like it looks like the anthology is at times really tough for him to to look back and talk about all that stuff. Yeah. Um, because he is just, he really does believe all that. You know, George, yeah. John tried out a new thing every few months. And mm-hmm. again, that's why we love John is that he was just so curious and that he 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 went after all these different things from primal scream. He did a bit of meditation. Then he'd, he'd try this. He'd try different drugs. He'd try uh, different things that the art scene were doing. He was just, John just wanted to do whatever the new thing was and then he'd have an opinion on it. And then he'd move on. Whereas George right. found one thing in the sixties and he, it stayed with him his entire life, you know, which was meditation and getting closer to God, whatever God means to you, you know, um, right up to like, you listen to brainwashed and the, mm-hmm. the songs on brainwashed, his final album released posthumously. They're the same messages as on all things must pass. They're just, they're just written a little bit differently. Right. And I think that's so amazing for one person to just find this thing and, you know, through difficulties in the mid seventies, um, through finding it again in the late seventies and the eighties, like he, he just locked onto something and kind of the, re- everything else fell away. Like all that ego stuff fell away with George. And I, I just find that so fascinating. Whereas Paul mm-hmm. is just, forever the showman like he's always just going to want to be that guy that jumps up on stage with a guitar and just wants to be like do you want to hear this tune do you want to do you want to do this oh how about we play some Beatles you all love that like Paul still does the same crowd banter that he's been doing since the 90s you know like he'll he'll 
he'll play Hey Jude and he'll just be like, all right, just the men, just the girls. Oh, you sound so good. You know, like <laughs> he, he, like you watch, <laughs> you listen to like live clips of Paul and it's like, he's making it sound like he's just kind of making this up on the spot. Like he'll tell a story, like it's the first time he's told it. And it's the millionth time. Like, I can't imagine how sick of it his band must be. Um, <laughs> but he knows that that matters. Like Paul knows that that stuff matters to fans and, and, you know, with the exception of Ringo, who's, I, I've never seen Ringo live, but I have seen Paul live. And Paul just knows that that matters to so many people. And, you know, I can't speak for George and John if they were alive today, but I don't know if they if they would have given as much to modern crowds as, as Paul has. I don't know if any artist in history will have, like 80 yeah. years old and playing nearly three hour sets like it's just it's just incredible it's dedication yeah, so, the, so yeah. those two those two guys yeah. <laughs> i think it's so interesting when you look at the evolution of the beatles individual personalities because in the beginning they're so close mm. with each other they're like finishing each other's sentences and jokes they're sleeping in the same bed and then if you study them for 10 years it's they're almost like this this human representation of what the universe does and that's expand and create things of its own and i think it becomes this really interesting yeah. micro level yeah. study of human nature and how humans are naturally inclined to grow and experiment and change i do think that one commonality between all four beatles personalities is their heart and their integrity and paul is very showman but you're right i, I do think that comes from his care of making sure the audience is having a good time. I think that he knows that some people's first and only time seeing him mm. perform the Beatles songs, and he just wants to give them the best show that he could give them. And, and speaking of that, I actually just saw Ringo last week. Oh, really? Yeah. How and was Ringo, it? It was great. It was fantastic. Ringo, is, uh, he looks like he's 45 years old. Yeah. Um, he dances <laughs> like he's 45 years old. He was out there doing jumping jacks like he's 25. Oh my god. He's just so he's just a huge ball of Ringo and it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I would highly recommend you go check him out. Well, you know, uh, his band just got COVID unfortunately. So I saw. Whenever, yeah, it's such a shame. Continues. Um well, if he comes to Australia, I'll I will definitely be seeing him. I'm I've only really this year started getting into Ringo's um solo discography. I I mean there's just so much music between them all, so it it's really only taken me till till now like i knew the odd song i knew photograph and um you know it don't come easy and that you know there's really popular ones but I've, I've just started dipping into his solo stuff i really like uh bukus of blues it's mm, you know like yeah. none of these none of these ringo albums are like mind-blowing or anything like that but right. gosh i was i was listening to bukus of blues when i was i was i just got back from this big trip uh, in Europe and the UK and I was just by myself in the UK for a bit um, just feeling a bit you know lonely between places and I put on Bukus of Blues and it just like just clicked with me I was just like <laughs> man this guy is just the best at singing these sad country songs like he's yeah. his voice is just so perfect for it he's like that Eeyore quality to him yeah. just comes out in these sad you know, woeful, uh, bleeding heart country songs. And I'm like, he even even then he knew what his strengths were. Um, yeah, yeah. 
gosh, love Ringo. Lo- lo- just love him. <laughs> Are you planning on making a uh, a Ringo solo album ranking video in the future? Oh man, that's a lot of people have asked me that question. This time for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, look, they were four very talented guys. Thank you all for listening to part one of our interview with Elliot Roberts. If you liked it, please be sure to follow this podcast so you'll get a notification when part two comes out. And subscribe to Elliot's YouTube channel, Elliot Roberts Videos. I will see you next Wednesday.